Thank you, Lori and choir, for leading us. Um, such an awesome reminder that uh, this world belongs to the Lord, that He is the ruler of it. We are not. It's a good reminder for us. We often like to make ourselves the rulers of our own little worlds, but we're not. God is the ruler. Um, and then also a reminder that uh, God's not finished in this world. Um, and uh, that there is, there is still wrong. And God will make things right one day. And, uh, and I'm thankful for that. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. Um, even, even this week as we have watched the, uh, the storm and, and seen it on the news, and we're reminded that creation is groaning under the, ch- under the pains of childbirth until the full adoption of the sons of God. Uh, we read that in Romans chapter 8. And, um, and, uh, but, but God's still at work, and he's not done. And uh, he will... He will set all things right, and He is making all things new. He is in the process of doing that, and so we worship Him for that. Um, as you turn in your Bible, I'm going to go ahead and let you turn to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to ask you some questions, okay? Uh, if you've got to turn and you've got to think at the same time. I can't do that, but I'm going to hope that you can do that, okay? Um, if I try to do two things at once, I end up messing up both of them. But uh, turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I want to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you are theologians? How many of you would call yourself a theologian? So it's kind of, maybe, I don't know. Is it a trick question? Should I raise my hand? Uh, It kind of is a trick question in a way. Uh, Let me ask you another question. Maybe this will help you answer that first question well. I'm going to ask you two questions, and that will help you answer that first question, I think, correctly. How many of you ever think about God? Okay, you should raise your hand. Um, if you didn't, you should start thinking about God. That's a good thing to think about. You should think about him. Uh, but I think it's safe to say we've all had thoughts about God before. Now, let me ask you another question. How many of you would say that your understanding of who God is impacts how you live your life? Yeah, I think we would all answer that. I, I think it's safe to say that we all think things about God and that impacts how we live our lives, how we interpret the things around us, how we look at our own lives and the lives of others and the and the world that we live in. Okay, now let's go back to the first question. How many of you are theologians? Everybody raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. Okay? A theologian, sometimes that, that, that word, we, when we hear that, we think, of, we think of somebody that's really smart, somebody that does nothing but study the Bible, and they could answer every question that you might throw at them about God's Word. And, um, and it is true that there are some people that God has called to, to really spend a majority of their time um, studying God's Word and, and helping us understand what is there. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that everyone is a theologian. We're all theologians in this sense. We all think about who God is. We all form beliefs about who God is. And those beliefs are then lived out in our lives, whether we realize it or not. We're all theologians. For instance, if you think that God is a, is a mean, cosmic killjoy, then you probably think life would just be better without him. And the only reason you ever try to do things that you think would please him is so that you stay off of his hit list. Right? That, that would be how it plays out in your life. If, on the other hand, you think God is just a big, loving grandpa sitting around ready to spoil you, then really you only go to him whenever you want something or you need help getting out of a situation. Kind of like uh, my two-year-old daughter. I, I, I watched her yesterday 
uh, I was over at my parents' house, and I was sitting in one chair, and my dad was sitting in the other chair, and she walked out from the kitchen or wherever she was. She came around the corner, and she just looked at him and just kind of held her hand out and kind of grunted, which means obey me. (laughs) Come and do what I tell you to do. And so uh, Gramps, being the Gramps that he is, he held out his finger. She grabbed his finger, and she began to pull him out of the chair. And he, she pulled him up out of the chair, and he, he walked. He said, what do you, what do you need, darling? What do you need? I, they go around the corner, and, um, and this is actually amazing because they, they disappeared out of sight. But I knew where they were headed because they were headed into the kitchen around to where the pantry is. And the next thing I heard was my dad go, I don't think you can have that right now because it's almost lunchtime. I was like, wow, that's never happened. I expected her to come back in with a cup full of M&M's. <laughs> but, but, uh, but he actually didn't give her what she wanted. And uh, I, was, I was amazed. But, but sometimes that's how we think God is. Here, God, let me take you to where I want you and you give me what I want. Um, or maybe if you think that God is the righteous creator who holds people accountable for sin, but has also lovingly provided his own son as a sacrifice for sin, then you're probably thankful to know him. And, and you probably love to live for him and submit to him in all areas of your life. You see, we all think thoughts about God. We all think thoughts about God, but we want to make sure that we think right thoughts about God. We're all theologians, but we don't simply want to be theologians. We want to be theologians who think the right thing about God and his world that he's made and about salvation and about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, about us and about sin. So how do we do that? Well, we go to God's word and we rightly interpret God's word. You see, healthy church members are biblical theologians. Healthy church members are biblical theologians. We want the Bible, God's Word, to be the source of our understanding of God and all things related to God. We want to start with God's Word, and we want to stay in God's Word, and we want to let what God says in His Word about Himself and about humanity and about the world and sin and Jesus and salvation and heaven and hell, we want what God says about those things in His Word to permeate our hearts and minds, and then work its way out in our daily choices. And as we look at the individual teaching of, teachings of God's Word, we want to make sure that we're under, understanding God's Word the way that that particular passage that we're reading or that particular verse that we're studying fits into the overarching story of God's Word. In other words, we don't just want to pluck verses and passages out of God's Word, we want to make sure that we're understanding all of what's going on in God's Word, the overall story, and then interpret the individual passages and verses in light of that. We want to interpret each story in the Bible in light of the overarching story of the Bible. So the question then is, what is that overarching story? How do we read and understand the Bible as biblical theologians? Well, that's what we want to talk about for a little while this morning. Now, I mentioned last week as we started this series that we're going to be looking for several weeks at what a healthy church member is. And uh, I told you that um, this is kind of a, 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 a spinoff, or if you will, or a sequel to a study that we did last fall where we looked at what a healthy church is. 
um, a guy named Mark Dever um, out of uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in uh, Washington, D.C., I uh, wrote a book several years ago called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And, and, um, and they're not the only things, like I said last week, that a church should do or be about, but they are important things. And uh, they're things that sometimes we get wrong. And so uh, we looked at those nine things last, uh, last fall. Uh, but he had a friend that wrote another book uh, based off of his book called What is a Healthy Church Member? And he took those things and said, what about from the member's perspective? What can I do as a member to make sure I'm a healthy church member? So then if we're all healthy church members then we'll be a healthy church. And so um, we're looking at these different marks of a healthy church member. Last week, we looked at the first one, which was an expositional listener. And this week, we want to look at biblical theologian. Let me give you a definition, and then we're going to turn our, um, turn our thoughts to God's word. A biblical theologian interprets every part of God's word in light of the overall main point of God's word, which is God's work of salvation through Jesus. I know it's kind of wordy, but let me read it one more time, and then we'll unpack this as we go. A biblical theologian interprets every part of God's word in light of the overall main point of God's word, which is God's work of salvation through Jesus. Quick quick illustration, and and then we'll jump into Luke chapter 24. We've been hearing and watching radar and looking at all these reports about what the hurricane's going to do, and it's been one of those that it's been hard to tell what it's going to do, but they can still make some fairly accurate predictions about it. And, um, and, and the way that you make those predictions is not simply by focusing only on the storm itself, right? There's other factors that play into rightly interpreting that storm and the direction it's going, right? You've got to look at the high-pressure systems and the low-pressure systems and even different parts of the United States and when they're going to hit with this storm where it's going to be. You've got to look at the temperature of the water that the storm is moving over. Is it hot or is it cold? If it's hot, it's going to, it's going to increase in its strength. All these different factors around that particular storm actually play a role in us understanding the storm. Same thing is true with God's Word. Everything that's all around a particular passage of Scripture helps us understand what that particular passage of Scripture means. Now, to help us see this, we want to look at um, a passage in Luke chapter 24. Now, this is a, it's a lot of verses in this story. We're not going to look at every single verse in detail. We'll just read it as we walk through these points. But what I want us to see is, is that a right reading of Scripture always leads us to Jesus. A right reading of Scripture always leads us to Jesus. And we want to notice five things that Jesus does in this passage to help his disciples become what we could call biblical theologians. Five things that Jesus does to help his disciples become biblical theologians. Now, to set the context of this, this this day that we're going to look at is the day of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus has died on the cross, and then on that Sunday morning, early on that Sunday morning, His tomb is empty. He is risen from the dead. And so when we pick up in verse 13, uh, the disciples have found out that the tomb is empty. But they're not sure what to think about this. And that's what we're going to pick up in verse 13. Uh, Follow along as I read. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. What are all the things? Jesus' death and now the empty tomb, okay? 
Uh, verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were cut from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walked? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? You guys got to love Jesus, right? I mean, it's, it's so good. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us learn from your word this morning. Open up our hearts and minds, Lord. Speak the truth of your word into us through your spirit and then help us to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First thing that we see Jesus do is this. Jesus exposed their misunderstanding of the scriptures. Jesus exposed uh, these two individuals' misunderstanding of the scriptures. And he exposed it by asking questions. He could have walked right up and, and had their eyes open and they recognized who he was. But they were wrongly interpreting the scriptures. Now, when we talk about the scriptures in this passage, we would be talking about the Old Testament. What we call the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been written at this point. And so when he talks about the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. And so he comes to them and he says, what are y'all talking about? Well, what's the topic of conversation today as you're walking down the road? And so they begin, they begin saying, hey, all, we're talking about all this stuff that's been happening in Jerusalem. And, he's, and he says, what's been happening? And they're like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, this is, this is big news. Where have you been? Have you been locked in a closet somewhere? I mean, what? You don't know? And so they begin to tell Jesus all these things that have happened. Can you imagine that? They're telling Jesus, this guy named Jesus, and we thought he was the redeemer of Israel, but he died on a cross and, and he was buried. But now his body's not in the tomb, and we just don't know how to make sense of all of this. The disciples were confused because they had missed the main point of the Scriptures. They, they, weren't, they, they weren't people who had never opened up God's word before. They knew what God's word said, but they had misunderstood the point of it. The disciples were unable to make sense of their present circumstance because they didn't understand the scriptures. They needed to have their misunderstanding exposed. I think that's why Jesus asked these questions. He's exposing in them a wrong reading of the scriptures. And I think sometimes we need to have our misunderstandings exposed. You know, we're not perfect in, in our understanding of God's Word, and, and especially if we've been taught something for a long time, and it kind of gets ingrained in our mind. And, um, and so sometimes we need to have our misunderstanding of God's Word exposed. So the first thing Jesus does is he exposes their misunderstanding of the Scriptures, but then he, 
he takes it a little step further, and, and he doesn't just leave it at exposing it. He rebukes them. He, he really does. He rebukes their failure to see the main point of the Scriptures. Jesus rebukes their failure. Notice what he says in verse 25. He said to them, O foolish ones. I don't know about you, but that's a, that's a rebuke right there. That's a rebuke. He says, O foolish ones, and slow apart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, remember, they don't know it's Jesus yet, okay? They don't know that it's, this is Jesus. He says, oh, foolish ones. You don't, you've read God's word, but you don't know what it's about. It's very likely that these two individuals could quote a lot of God's word. If Jesus had to say, quote this verse and quote this verse, they probably could have done it. And yet they had missed the whole point. They had missed the whole point. You see, it's possible to read all the verses of Scripture and miss the main point of Scripture. And I'm afraid that far too often that happens in churches. It happens in our lives as Christians where we read God's Word and sometimes even study it. And, and, and even try to apply it to our lives. And yet we miss the big picture of what is going on. And we'll see some examples of that in just a few minutes. But I want to keep going with what Jesus does. So first he exposes, then he rebukes, then he begins to explain. And this is where I would love to have been present that day on the road to Emmaus. Seven miles wouldn't have been long enough. It wouldn't have been. I would have, I'd have walked around the world if I could have been there and had Jesus teaching a Bible study. Because that's basically what happens next. Notice verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Let me read that one more time. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. When we see the words Moses and all the prophets, it's a way to refer back to the Old Testament. Moses is the human author of the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, known as the law or in Hebrew the Torah. And so when it refers to Moses, it's talking about those first five books of the Bible. And then he talks about the prophet. It's just a way of referring to the scriptures. And so beginning at the beginning of the Bible, that's what that's what he does. He, he basically starts in Genesis and he walks through the Old Testament and he teaches them what it means. Would you have liked to have been there for that Bible study? Wouldn't that be awesome? I could have sat there for hours and hours and hours and listened to Jesus. The Word made flesh give a Bible study on the written Word of God. I mean, that must have been incredible. I, can't, I mean, I bet, these, I bet these, uh, these, these two individuals just, they probably, they, they probably didn't even realize that they were walking. They probably felt like they were floating, right? Just, I mean, because they loved God. These were people who loved God's Word. And they wanted to know about this Jesus. And they wanted to know how it fit with the rest of Scripture. And so their, problem, their minds are just getting blown. I mean, just Wow, how does this guy know all this stuff? And it begins to make sense. It begins to make sense. But notice how he interprets the Scriptures. 
it says that he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's teaching a Bible study on this road to Emmaus, and he's using all the Old Testament. That's his scripture for the Bible study. And he is telling them that it is all about Jesus. Now, at this point, they don't know they're talking to Jesus, but he's telling them all of this is about that man, Jesus, who you saw hanging on a cross, who you saw die, who you saw get put in a tomb, and who now you don't know where he's at. All of the scriptures are about him. I wonder the last time you opened up to Exodus or Jeremiah or the Psalms, or Leviticus, you thought, I am going to learn about Jesus. Well, sometimes we don't think that way. And maybe one reason is well, we don't even see the name Jesus in the Old Testament. And so in our minds, we have this kind of uh, the, the, this divide between Old Testament and New Testament. So the Old Testament teaches us things about God and Israel, and the New Testament tells us about Jesus. Jesus opens up the Old Testament and says, it's all about me. It's all about Jesus. Scriptures are about Jesus. I wonder if he took them to Genesis chapter 3 and said, you see here where God promised to send someone who would be born of the woman and, and he would crush the head of this serpent? That's Jesus. He's the snake crusher. I wonder if he took him to Genesis chapter 12 and said, ever wondered how in the world God could bless all the nations of the earth through that one man, Abraham? Well, it's Jesus. He's the way that God would bless all the nations of the earth through that one man, Abraham. What about Genesis 22? Y'all know the story, Jesus may have said to these individuals. Y'all know the story of Abraham taking his son Isaac up on Mount Moriah, his only son, Isaac. And then as he's fixing to sacrifice him, God provides a substitute sacrifice. And Jesus said, guess what? Jesus is the substitute sacrifice. He's the only son of God. And he takes your place. Perhaps he turned to Genesis chapter 50 and he said, you know the story of Joseph, right? How his brothers sold him into slavery. And, and, and at the end of the story there in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph says, you meant this wickedness, you meant it for my harm, but God meant it for good to preserve the life of many people. And Jesus said, guess what? Guess what? When you saw Jesus on the cross, remember, they don't know it's him. When you saw Jesus on the cross, it looked like wickedness. And it was but guess what? God meant that wickedness for good, for the salvation of many, many people. Perhaps he took them to Exodus chapter 12 and he said, you remember, you remember that night where your ancestors set as slaves in Egypt and God told them to paint the blood of a perfect lamb over their door. And if they were covered by that blood, then I then God, excuse me, it's hard to talk about Jesus without talking about God, but they don't know who he is yet, then God would pass over and spare them from death and rescue them out of slavery. Guess what? Jesus is the Passover lamb. And it is his blood that covers your sin and rescues you from death. 
Perhaps he took him to Exodus chapter 20 and said, you know those ten things called the Ten Commandments? That, that you try so hard to obey, but you fail over and over and over? Guess what? Jesus obeyed all of those perfectly. He is the fulfillment of the law. He is the perfection that you could never live out. But through his death, he exchanges his righteousness for your sin. And so now you get to be righteous before the holy God. Perhaps he took him to Job chapter 19 and said, Remember when Job said, my Redeemer lives? Well, that Redeemer is Jesus. Maybe he took him to Psalm chapter 22 and said, Jesus is the forsaken one. As the psalmist cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he said, let's go to the next Psalm, Psalm chapter 23. You know who it is that walks through the valley of the shadow of death? It was Jesus. Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death for you. But let's go one more Psalm over to Psalm chapter 24. That says, who is the king of glory that he shall enter in? And Jesus said, Jesus is the king of glory who enters in and ascends the holy hill of God. Perhaps he took him to Isaiah chapter 53. And said, Jesus is that suffering servant. That lamb led to the slaughter who was wounded for our transgression. I could go on and on and on. And I believe that Jesus did go on. They had seven miles. They had a long, had a long walk. And he interpreted in those Old Testament scriptures all the things concerning himself. Scripture, all of it, from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, is about Jesus. If you can pick up your Bible and read it and not think about Jesus, And you need to have your misunderstanding of Scripture exposed. And I believe Jesus would lovingly rebuke you. And he would say, now let me show you that it's about me. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. Number four, Jesus enabled them. Jesus enabled them to clearly see and understand that he is the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation promised in the Scriptures. He enabled them. You see, they couldn't understand it just by themselves. And neither can we. We need divine intervention to open up our eyes to see Jesus, our hearts to understand, our minds to understand and grasp what God's word means. Notice in verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. So Bible study sticks in the end. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Notice verse 31. And their eyes were opened. Now that's not action that they did. That's passive. Their eyes were opened. Somebody else was opening their eyes. That was Jesus opening the the, the blinders on their eyes so they could see who he really is. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, those who were with them, gathered together. 
saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Just pause right there for a second. I think those disciples had to really fight against some serious jealousy right then, right? Guess what? We just walked seven miles with Jesus and he gave a Bible study for seven miles. And they're going, how come I didn't get to, get to be in on that, right? I mean, I have a feeling there's a little jealousy there. But, but it's good news. It's good news. Let's keep reading. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. So now Jesus appears among all of his disciples there. And he said to them, peace to you. But they're startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat here? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. So he's, so he's trying to prove to them, that, hey, this is really me. I'm really risen from the dead. I have a, I have a, I have a body. I am, I am. It's me. It's not just my spirit. It is me. I am alive. But notice then, he does, this is so interesting to me. I think it's so important for us to grasp. I mean, we, wouldn't we say that it would be enough to see Jesus, right? Oh, if only I could see Jesus. But he doesn't stop with just showing them himself. I mean, they've got to touch him. They've got to watch him eat food. They see the nail scars in his hands and his feet. We know from other passages of Scripture, they see it in his side where the spear was there. I mean, wouldn't that be enough? But it's not. It's not. He wants them to see him in the written word of God. Notice the value that Jesus himself is placing on God's word. Look at what he says in verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Those three words, the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, that's the three sections of the Old Testament. It's the three sections in which the, the Jewish uh, Old Testament, the way the books were ordered, were divided up. It was the law of Moses, it was the, the prophets, and it was what we often refer to as the writings or wisdom literature. He just refers to it with the word Psalms, the Psalms. He's saying, everything in the Old Testament was about me and it is now fulfilled. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. See, it wasn't just enough for him to open their eyes to see him. They needed to have their minds opened up to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ is suffering on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. There is the story of the Bible. Remember the beginning we talked about interpreting the individual parts of God's Word in light of the overarching story of God's Word? That is the grand story of God's Word. That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. It is God's plan of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. 
We see God start that plan of salvation there in Genesis chapter 3 when he promised to send someone to destroy the serpent. The rest of the Bible is God fulfilling that. We have all these promises in the Old Testament of who the Messiah is going to be and what he's going to be like and what he's going to do. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and he is the Messiah. He acts like he is supposed to act. He does the things that the Messiah is supposed to do. And he dies on the cross just like the Old Testament scriptures said he would. And then he rises up from the dead victorious over sin and Satan and death just like the scriptures said he would. And then the gospel begins to spread from person to person, from nation to nation. And one day this king, this Jesus who has laid down his life for us, returns to this earth. And he gathers his people. All those who have placed their faith and trust in him, who have submitted their lives to his lordship. And then as his people, we live with him forever. We talked about that a little bit last week. The bride of Christ being presented to the groom, Jesus. It's a pure and spotless bride. To worship Him. To enjoy Him for all of eternity. It's one story. And so we interpret each of the individual parts in light of that grand story of redemption. But we need Jesus' help to do that. Jesus had to open up the Scriptures. He opened up their eyes. And then He opened up their minds. And now the Holy Spirit who came after Jesus, is the one who opens up our minds to understand Scripture, that opens up our eyes to see Jesus there. Listen to me, believer. If you have trusted Christ, listen, Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And it is a beautiful thing that God has given us, this gift, the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. And do you know what His role is in you? It is to point you every moment and every day to Jesus. He, the Holy Spirit exists to make much of Jesus. We always see the Holy Spirit working in such a way that Jesus is talked about and Jesus is exalted and Jesus is glorified. And so if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then that is what the Holy Spirit is doing. Is trying to, he is trying to make much of Jesus in your life. But the way that he does that, the way that he points you to Jesus, is through the word of God, the same way that Jesus pointed his disciples to Jesus. It wasn't enough just for Jesus to say, hey, it's me. You can forget about all that Old Testament. Now just focus on me. He said, no, I want you to focus on me. But the way that you focus on me is by opening this up. And you can have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful that God works out in us what He desires for us. He wants us to know who Jesus is and He's given us His Scriptures and He's given us the Holy Spirit. So we have no excuse to not rightly interpret God's Word. Number five. Jesus commissioned them to testify to the nations that he is the fulfillment of Scripture. I, want, I don't want to cut this story short. There's a lot more that we could talk about. But notice what comes right out of his mouth as soon as he gives them the meaning of the Bible, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very next thing 
He says, you are witnesses of these things. Here's what that means. That his whole Bible study on what Scripture means and that it points to him and the overarching story of the, of, the, of the gospel, it wasn't just so they could spend the rest of their lives sitting around saying, wow, what a great Bible story. What a great Bible study. What a great sermon Jesus preached. Wow, these stories are so interesting. Wow, there's so much that I can learn here. His goal for them was that they would take the truth about Jesus found in God's word and that they would go and tell other people about it. It's what a witness does, testifies to what they know is true. He says, here's the story of the Bible. Now you are my witnesses. You are the ones that are going to take the gospel to the nations. You see, sometimes when we think about a theologian, maybe even a biblical theologian, we might be tempted to think someone who just has lots of information packed in their mind about God, about his word. But that's not simply or merely what a biblical theologian is. A biblical theologian is someone who knows God's word and then obeys God's word. You and I can never call ourselves biblical theologians until we are seeking to put into practice what God's word says. Scripture points us to Jesus, and Jesus gives ultimate meaning to Scripture. Some people today, they, wanna, they want Jesus without the Scriptures. They do. And Jesus would say to that, no, no. I'm thinking about a, a very well-known pastor of a really, really large church, one of the largest churches in the United States. It's in Atlanta. And he's, he's been on this kick for a while. That, that we, need to, we need to stop saying the Bible tells us so, and we just need to focus on the events of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. We need to stop going back to the Old Testament when we talk about Jesus. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that Jesus said the Bible tells us so a bunch of times on that road to Emmaus. I'm sure these two individuals had lots of questions. Say, well, why is that? And he would have said, well, the Bible, well, the Old Testament, the, the, the scriptures tell us so. And they said, well, what about this? And he would have said, well, because the scriptures tell us so. Anyone who says, well, I don't need this. I just need Jesus. Jesus would offer them a stern rebuke and say, you're right. You do need me. I am the way of salvation. But the only way you know about me is this. If you try to know me without finding me and learning about me in this, then you will end up with wrong thoughts, wrong ideas, wrong beliefs about Jesus. You'll end up trusting in a Jesus that doesn't exist, a a Jesus that cannot save you from your sin. So we must Go back to God's word over and over and over. We must live in it 
day in and day out. A biblical theologian interprets every part of God's word in light of the overall main point of God's word, which is God's work of salvation through Jesus. Well, there's more I wanted to say, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw this to a close. Um, let, me just, let me just give you a practical, some, some practical advice. You ready? It's, it's so simple. Say, how can I be a biblical theologian? You ready? Read the Bible. Okay? Read the Bible. You can't know what's there if you don't read it. And the way, the way that you make sure you're always thinking about the big picture of God's Word when you read individual parts is by reading all of it over and over and over again so that big picture of God's Word is always there in your mind when you're studying one verse or two verses or one passage. We have to keep growing in our knowledge. Listen, I am still growing in my understanding of the big picture of God's Word. And and, and I, I still sometimes struggle with interpreting a Scripture in light of the big picture, but... I'm on this journey with you of seeking to be a biblical theologian. It's not just my job as the pastor. Every believer is called to be a biblical theologian. Don't think that's just my job. My job is to help and to shepherd and to equip you to be biblical theologians. But you have the Holy Spirit too. And so you get in God's Word, and you read it, and you read it, and you read it, and you read it, and you study it, and you study it. And when you find something that's confusing, you ask questions. And then you ask me questions, and then I go, I don't know. And some of you know this, because you ask me questions, and I go, I'm not sure. I have to, I have to think about it. I have to get back to you, because I'm still learning too. And then together we learn, and we grow in our understanding of God's Word. And then our church is full of members who are biblical theologians. And you know what happens? We are a healthy church that is shining the light of Christ in our community and around the world. Off the glory and praise of God most high. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us Scripture. Father, I think about Peter as he's writing one of his letters and he speaks about the more sure word. Father, what weight is placed on Scripture? Father, yes, we need the Word made flesh, but we don't know about the Word made flesh unless we open up the written Word. Father, help us to be right interpreters of Your Word. Help us not to pull things out of context. Help us not to just teach moral lessons from your word. Or we just say, well, the moral of this story is that we should be good. Father, the Bible tells us that we're not good. We need you. And you've sent your son to us to rescue us from our sins. Lord, you've given us your word not just to be a set of, set of moral lessons for us, not just to be a, 
uh, a book where we learn some historical facts, but you have given us your words so that we would know the gospel of Jesus Christ, why we need him, and what he's done to rescue us from our sin. Father, all of Scripture is about him. Father, help us to grow in our understanding of that. Help me to grow in my understanding. Father, help us to seek to be biblical theologians, not so that we can walk around with our noses stuck up in the air thinking about how much we know about the Bible and how we know more than someone else. Father, so that we can fall more and more in love with you every day so that we will serve and submit to Jesus as our King every day. Father, so that we will live in obedience to the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. In Jesus' name we pray.